This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey Geekscapists, it's Jonathan London, host of Geekscape, your favorite geek podcast. I hope, I've been doing this for almost 14 years now, and we've had some amazing guests. Uh, this week is no different. If this is your first Geekscape, I like to sit down with storytellers from the worlds of movies, video games, comic books, TV, uh, and I like to talk storytelling. I like to see why they tell stories, where the stories come from, uh, with the surprises in their careers, maybe some of the things in their careers that didn't turn out the way that they wanted, and they had to... Uh, kind of make a left turn instead of a right and it turned into a happy accident and something that was really amazing and uh, maybe there's something that they didn't love that you loved but I've got some questions here for my good friend Scott Thompson from Kids in the Hall who I call my good friend you even did. though we've just met actually but we met when you were coming out of the toilet right so that's kind of like <laughs> so we fast tracked we friendship. would be better friends if we would met in the toilet yeah like if we would peed this together <laughs> you could say my best friend but, uh, but I, I call you a good friend because you think you know me? I mean, for so long. I just remember sitting with my friend Tommy Fad back in middle school watching right. the, the No, I know Tommy. Hall. He's a good guy. Tommy's a really good guy. Yeah. And we used to watch The Kids in the Hall and ultimately being in the theater to watch Brain Candy. And it just feels like you guys were our group. SNL was kind of our parents. Yeah. No offense mm-hmm. to Lauren Michaels and everybody at SNL who was a part of your career, but... SNL was kind of the 70s and 80s, yeah. and then when you're coming into cable culture in the late 80s and 90s, and you're discovering all this weird stuff as you're spinning off into the Comedy Centrals mm-hmm. and the MTVs, really the MTV that wasn't music, the MTV2 in the 90s mm-hmm. stuff, they're the kids of the hall, and they're weird. <laughs> they're just yeah, we were weird. weird. We were definitely weird. Yeah. Um, so let's just go, because sure. I've, I've got some, some questions. Let's but, go. but what we were talking about was... Shoot. Uh, as you were sitting down, you had this yes. these monologues uh, that were going to go into an act. Yes. Uh, that's not Buddy Cole stuff, though, is No, it? that's separate. Um, Buddy Cole, like, I, I, I write it out. Mm-hmm. Like, I write it like it's an essay, and I, and I write, and I rewrite, and I rewrite, and I rewrite, and then I try them, and I try them, and I try them. With stand-up, it's different. I go up with a vague idea, I work it out, and I do it over and over and over again on stage, 
and and I fail constantly. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, but I remember, and I write down things that work. Do you videotape it? Do you ever record I, I record it, but I never listen to them. <laughs> I don't think anybody does. You no, know, when I do stand up, I record it and I, never go back I, to them. I, I, I look at them on my phone. I've got like dozens of recordings, and I go, I'm not going to listen to that. No, the failure, I think, is what sticks. The thing yeah. that you remember is, oh, that was painful. Yeah, so I just don't, yeah. so it's weird. So I've stopped doing that. But no, I, I just go home and write it, write the stuff down. And then there comes a point when I go, okay, I've had enough of the ritual humiliation. <laughs> I need to put it all together. And that's when I take pen to paper, or like go to the computer, and I sit down like a proper writer, and I start assembling the best bits until they, they, they take a shape. And then that's where we are now. And then I'll take it out and try it again. But this time I'll be, I'll, I'll be much more in Structure, control. Yeah. And quite often building it, I feel very out of control. Well, it's not unlike making a film or writing a screenplay. You've got these little voices. Some are images. Some are dialogue. Some are yeah. uh, action. And then you have to slowly kind of put the puzzles together. I think if, I mean, you type your stuff up, and I use free, yes. freehand. Oh, I, I did that yeah. too. And I think that if anybody saw our notebooks, they think we were like the killer from Seven or something. Oh no, it's insane. My notebook. <laughs> it's complete yes. insane. Yes, writing. It but, is. But the the free flow of ideas and uh, brand new Geekscapists. If you want to hear a great. Uh, conversation about creativity. Not that we're not going to have one now. Is Felicia Day was the last mm -hmm. guest, and she wrote the book. Uh, she wrote a new book that's out this week on uh, freeing up your creative weirdness, like uh -huh. setting your freak flag out. And um, and so talking to you about, uh, you actually type this stuff up I like know. an outline. Yeah. At what point? Do it's you actually not. It's actually sentences. And, like and it's real. It's like an essay. You don't feel like you're going to kill any kind of spark, or do you no. have to kind of maintain this no. balance of live versus? No, because once I do it, I'll still play around with it. Right. It's not like it's it's not frozen, mm -hmm. um, but I I want to know what the where the jokes are, and so um, no now I'll take it out and I'll feel much more confident with it, and I can play with it, and I can improvise within it rather than just pure improvisation. There's boundaries. There has to be. Yeah, there has to be. Yes, yeah, that's what the kids in the hall were like too. Like a lot of people would think, oh, you guys are an improv group. We were we were always, I would say, insulted by that. Mm -hmm. We were never an improv group. We never develop things through improvisation. But when you think writing is improvisation, right? That's all it is. It's just you know, following the flow. But no, we were very um, ruthless writers. We sat down and wrote. And then we would improvise when we would put them on their feet. And Bruce, and, uh, I was listening to him and Mark Maron a few weeks ago, uh -huh. and, and he talked about coming out of that kind of almost comedy sports background. Yep. And that was... We all, we yeah. all met there. Okay. So I did it. I yeah. did improv. I was never very good at it. Um, I think if anyone enjoyed watching me, it's because they were like afraid, <laughs> maybe even physically afraid of what I would do. I didn't have the most Im impulse control. Sure. I really still don't. But I wasn't skilled. Like some of the others were much more skilled. Mark and all four of them are much better than me. Why do you say that? Because I think because they, they, they I think people would deny that. I think people would enjoy things like Buddy Cole and the various characters that you guys. But created. I would never. I didn't know how to put characters in, in pure improv at the time. When I first started, I wasn't. I didn't know how to do characters at all. Um, I, I I just thought of improv as terrifying, and I still do. Because the lack of a safety net. Because yes. Of it, although when I do stand up, it's I'm by myself and oh, all. Quite, more, I think stand up. It is more frightening. I know. I don't. I should be more frightened by it. I'm no longer because the character is you. Well, I'm not. Uh, for, it's changed so drastically because when I first started out, I wanted to be a stand-up. Sure, but it wasn't possible. Where was that? Uh, in Canada, uh -huh. Toronto. Um, 
it wasn't possible to be a stand-up, doing this kind of stand that I wanted to do, which was pulled from your life. Because you could not be an openly gay man in stand-up comedy in the 80s. But it just was not possible. Eugene Levy and these guys from the SCTV and that yes. stuff come out of places like Toronto. Oh, I loved what, that. I was obsessed what, with SCTV. And th th that's a little bit of an older set. Yes, and, they're and, the generation above right, us, yes. And, and watching that stuff, what it... Oh, I was obsessed with. I just didn't think I. Could, I just yeah. didn't think I was. I just didn't think it was possible I could do that. I had no idea that I could do characters. Mm -hmm. None. Certainly, I would have loved to have. That's what I wanted to do. But I. I then I was going to be an actor, like I was going to be a real actor. And then after I graduated from university, I decided I would do stand up. But I did it about three times. I did about three open mics. Horrifying. 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 I mean, it was so terrible because it was faggot this, faggot that, and mm. I just could not handle it. I don't find the late night uh, or the the stand up uh, culture. I, you have to find a niche. And what, the recommendation I give to people who are, especially the geek scapists who are coming out of like a geek pop culture right. crowd, is find the other comics who talk about Batman and just it, put, put your own shows together because yeah. it can get gross. <laughs> it can get yeah. Really and in those days, it was just it was just everybody's trying literally to literally impossible. Play. You couldn't you couldn't do it. Talking about the the AIDS epidemic. I mean, gay men right. were garbage. Were you out at the time? When did you yes. come out? Yes. Yeah. So. At what time did you? At what I came out. You know, not not early in, comparatively to in this generation, sure. but for my generation. Oh, now we've got middle schoolers who are like, "Well, I'm caught." Yeah, you know. No, I, I I came out honestly. It was quite late, like 23. That is late. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. I mean, I I went to university in acting school, and I stayed in the closet. That's a closet that I was. I had a girlfriend. I was in acting school, for God's sake. No, I was. It was. I just was adamant. It wasn't. I. I that was not going to happen. But when I first did stand up, and I was meeting the kids in the hall, I was coming out, and that would have been around eighty-five, okay, eighty-six. But I, I did not tell the audience that, but they could sense it, and the comedians backstage would know. So they were ruthless to me. And it was so, and I did it my third time, someone in the audience said, shut up, faggot. And I lost it. And I kind of got into it. I, mm -hmm. jumped into the, I jumped into the audience and I got into a fight. And that was the end for me. I went, I can't do, I'm not doing this. Sure. And then I met, the, and I had just met the kids in the hall. And that's when I went, oh, I can do characters. And it never crossed my mind. And that's where Buddy Cole was born. Because I thought, well, I can't talk about my real life honestly, without people just hating me, I, so I can do characters. And so Buddy Cole became my alter ego. Mm -hmm. And now I live in a world where I, could, I can be a stand, openly gay stand-up. But I still choose to do Buddy because there are certain things that I still like to give to him. Mm -hmm. Also because we're in a very, um, uh, a very hypersensitive time. The woke culture, yeah. I think and, what people are calling Yeah, it. and Buddy Cole does not care. And no. in fact, kind of relishes it. And so I give things to him that I go, I can't handle it. <laughs> and I, he can. Um, do, you, do you think that you're coming out and you de developing the, because I think both things take bravery. Uh, the, the, the comedy that was required of you to play other characters and really uh, com communicate and collaborate with these other comedians and, and share on an equal footing. And then the idea that you were gonna finally come out. And do you think that, that they were that one could have existed without the other, or it would have been too difficult for, for, for one to be the cart, one to be the horse. Yes, what, what you said. No, I could not have. I could not have done what I did with the kids in the hall if I hadn't been out. And vice versa? Could you have come out if not for some of the 
jump before you look skills that you are learning collaborating with the 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 other guys because because again like performance takes a lot of bravery and well, it all happened at the same time mm-hmm. I started I graduated from university I started trying to get work as an actor I was not successful at all I met the kids in the hall I was co- and I was coming out so I kind of came out on stage mm. and I I would tell the audience that I'm I, and I was very blunt about it and this is you know I used the language of of our day and it was I'm the fag and um, I, I, I just felt, you see, the difference is, the thing is, when I grew, when I was coming of age, it was such a terrible time for gay people, gay men particularly, that there was no guarantee that I would survive. Mm-hmm. So it was quite likely that I would die young. There's a plague going on. There's yeah, a plague. absolute a plague. plague I mean, going people on. Couldn't, I think a lot of people don't really want, I think there's a, an attempt with culture today to kind of, whitewashed the AIDS epidemic. It was, yeah. And people don't really want to, and even like the LGBT community today doesn't really want to look at it because it makes us look, well, it's but bad. But that's dangerous. It is very dangerous. I think that's dangerous. And that's why I keep, I, I, I won't shut up. But it also, I think the, I think the culture, the greater culture, sure. is, is actually embarrassed at how they behave. Well, they've moved on to the next They've moved on, thing. and I think they, they're kind of ashamed at how they treated gay men. But that kills people. Yes, it does. Shame kills people. Ignorance kills people. Um, so, you know, but so in the kids in the hall, it all happened at the same time. It was all one thing. Being honest about myself, coming out. It's a giant Band-Aid you had. Yeah, it was yeah. just the kids in the hall would be, would be my Band-Aid. Yeah. Yes, it was my home. And um, I knew I would be protected from them, with them, because I came from a family of five boys, so it was very natural for me to be in that world. I liked being on a team. Mm-hmm. I knew what my position was. I really enjoyed that, um, and, and uh, so it, it all ha- you know. And I could have, if I'd taken another route, I could have taken the route and stayed in the closet, just been an actor. I would have, I could have quite had, could have had a very good career, but eventually it would have come out, yeah, and it would have been a scandal, <laughs> and I would have handled it badly, yeah, and it would have ruined me. So it all worked out well. Well, um, a couple things. Uh, being the gay yeah. performer in the five of the kids in the yeah. hall, if there had been another, you know, what would that dynamic have been? Had there been I wouldn't have let that happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you know that phenomenon? The one black in the room, the one gay in the room. Mm. If, if there yeah. was, a, but if for say, if, if, if um, one of the questions is why aren't there women in the kids in the hall? Because you guys did so many amazing sketches yeah. where you guys are playing women, right. and well, Kevin there, was really good at, great at that. Yeah, stuff. you know, there, there, it would be highly unlikely for another gay man to have been in the group because there were no other openly gay men in comedy. Mm-hmm. I, I, I hate to say it, but they just didn't really exist. It's um, almost like the fear on top of the fear. You have to perform yeah, and do comedy, and you have Com- to live with this. Comedy was very, very much a male world, mm-hmm. and women had to adapt. Gay men had to adapt, and they just didn't exist. There was a there was a parallel circuit, that, and I don't think people know this, but there was a parallel comedy circuit for gay people. So there were there were lesbian comics and gay comics who basically performed in a kind of a like a circuit, like Negro sure. Baseball League. I remember in a way. back in Austin, they had a very tuna Christmas and those things. Where it was, yes, remember the two guys of would, course they, I know in, those guys. And yes. they would dress in drag and they would do the yes. Christmas specials. And, uh, and drag and comedy worked very yeah. much together. But drag is what ruled in the club, so mm-hmm. there really was no place for me. And the other thing about gay men in comedy is they don't really embrace other males. They only like to see women. That's, mm-hmm. It's changing. 
But it, it, it definitely has been that way for a long, long time. I think it's because gay men are just so used to being the brunt of the joke. Sure. They don't want to go into the lion's den when they know the lion's going to rake them. So, um, I, I, I don't know. You know, the thing was, I, uh, now I can just be a comedian, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know what, I'll always be the gay one in the kids in the home. <laughs> That's fine. But I am. I know that. Um, and now, you know, like, what, you asked why there were no women. Well, there were no women because it, it didn't happen. Yeah. There was no sense. It wasn't of, a, look, a, a like, conscious choice. No to, one yeah. was. No. And no one was. It wasn't like today where everything is about. Representation. Diversity is. Right. It's a madness. Right. Representation. People are forgetting that chemistry and talent, you need to take that into account. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, sometimes groups, when they have a shared history, it can bond them. Sure. And so there was no attempt to. Um, keep anybody out and I was probably enough of an outlier like it was a big deal like I had it it took them time to adapt as well to me but there were women that played with us there were two women in particular Deborah Thaker and Sandra Shamas and they did a lot of work with the kids in the hall but back then when a woman was really good she'd be snapped up very quickly by who? Second City, Second City yeah. yeah, mostly Second City. Other people like that, actors, or they go into, you know, they get an acting roles or whatever. New York City. New York. But yeah. so, so we had these two amazing women, but they didn't stay. Like Deb Faker went to Second City, and then Sandra Shamas became a stand-up comedian. But if they'd, if they'd kept, you know, if they kept in, they could have been in the kids. Mm-hmm. If, it could have happened. Um, but it, it, for me, there was... Literally no choice. The moment I saw them, I knew that was my future. Like I knew, I I saw them at a midnight show with my friend Darlene, and I said to her, "I'm going to be in that group." I'd never met them before. <laughs> wow! And she goes, "You don't even know them." I go, "I know, but they need me," and I was that sure. What is that about? How did I don't know. And, and, and then how did you make those introductions? How did you? Well, I just knew it was going to happen. I, I, I've told this story before, but sure. what happened was it was like a midnight show, mm-hmm. and there was maybe eight of them at the time. Jesus, that's what—that's three too many. Yeah, totally. It really <laughs> is. You can't have that many. No. Um, so um, they were performing. It was a midnight show. There was very few people in the theater. It was like this real shitty theater, the poor Alex. And I was blown away. I, like, I saw my future. I went, oh, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. Was it the seamlessness of the voices? Was finishing to the senses? Everything. Was they it... were fearless. Yeah. They weren't playing women. Yeah, I think Dave played a woman in that. He had a, Just with a sweater. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't believe how fearless they were and how funny. And I just went, I'm going to be in that group. And so I noticed when I was sitting in the chair that they have, there were donuts taped under all the chairs. And I went around. And I went, oh, my God, they're everywhere. So I realized, oh, it's gonna—it's a bit they're it's going be to a contest, do. Yeah. So I ruined the bit. Oh shit! I didn't do it on purpose, but I grabbed some donuts and I started throwing them at them <gasps> during the show. I know. So they very to, stupid. Yeah. So when you see these donuts, they're like, okay, we have to skip the part where it's like, if you have a donut, so they had—they literally had to cut the scene because right. of me. And they're on stage going like, "Who's the asshole throwing donuts?" And I'm like, "Me." And I was such <laughs> an idiot. I just assumed. They would notice me, and they'd go, we got to have that guy. You, I mean, you pissed them off. Oh, they were furious. And afterwards, I went. I, I introduced myself, and McCullough, Bruce, was like, yeah. are you the fucking asshole? 
and was throwing donuts at us, and I was like, yeah. And that was it. Like, I mean, they didn't yeah. ask me to join, but then I was already doing theater sports with my group called the Love Cats, and Mark saw me, and he goes, that guy that was throwing donuts <laughs> at us, he's in this weird com- improv group where they wear yellow pantsuits and pearls. I used to wear pearls, strands of pearls, and yellow pantsuits that would be cut very low on my hips and no underwear. I was just a tart. And I, I was out of control. And Mark goes, we got to see this guy. And so they, and I don't know if the other three were like, I don't think so, he's an actor. And there, it was much more about me being an actor than gay. Right. They were very actor phobic. And um, they asked me to do one night with them. They would ask people to do like, you know, sure. guest spots. And I arrived with a bag of wigs and like dresses from Goodwill. And I was like, I got my bag of wigs, I got my dresses, I got these clothes. And they liked me. And I kept doing And then I wrote a monologue. Uh-huh. And I, it wasn't even Buddy first. The first monologue was Fran, my older, my mother character. And it's about her and her son coming out. And they loved it. And then I did a Buddy monologue. And then I'd done about, about four or five performances with them. And then uh, one, that one night, they were all driving home. And I was walking home. And they stopped the car. And I think the four of them were in the car. I don't know why. And I think, I think Dave had a car at the time. One of them did. And they said, get in the car. You're one of us. Oh, shit. And they sang a little song. They just made up a song on the spot. And that was it. Your induction. Yeah. Just and I was it. And I knew I was in. And so after that, I knew I was in. I w- and, I, and then three guys quit when I joined. Mm-hmm. The three that needed to go. <clears throat> yeah. Yes. And they needed to go. But they all did very, very well. Sure. They've all done extremely well as writers. And they all make a lot more money than any of us. You know what? It just works out that way. Yeah, they did. They <laughs> all do it very, way. very well. Yeah. And, and um, so I don't think they have any regrets. You know, Jim Carrey's been fine. Yes. <laughs> then Jim Carrey was definitely my generation. Yeah. Um, but that was it. So um, I never looked back. And then after I was in, I, I took that key and I swallowed it. Because no one was getting in after me. <laughs> well, when you look at things that are going on, like cancel culture, that we're, yes. you know, and I think that's a term now, Geekscape, I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah. Uh, but when you see, like, the, you know, the firing from SNL right. for being offensive and this and right. that, like, what's, what's the reaction when you're still going out and doing Buddy Call? And you should be going well, out and doing Buddy Call. Yeah, well, the thing is, I don't think uh, it, it's real. Mm-hmm. This cancel culture is real, and there absolutely are. are Innocent victims that are being taken down, but it's it's probably but at the same time it's 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 over exaggerated, sure. and and I get it. It's a, we're we're going through a, a major seismic shift in culture. But it's exaggerated by the echo chamber of the yeah, social media and the Twitter and all that. Yeah. But in reality, you really can still do whatever you want mm-hmm. if you do it properly. And you have the right audience. Like a lot of those guys that say they're being canceled, they're still selling out auditoriums and arenas and getting special after special. So I don't really feel that sorry for them. And, and the truth is, they have to understand that there are lots of people that have been clamoring to get in that have been the brunt of the joke for too long. Sure. And I understand that. You're representative of one. Absolutely. And I know exactly what I suffered through it. At the same time, I'm not a punitive person, and I don't want this to turn into the punishment era. Sure. Right? Like, I'm, not, yeah. I'm still not about kicking people when no. they're down. So I'm not about that, and, I, and I'm a comedian, and I understand how pe- comedians do need to have their space to fail. Right. And, and I know 
if look at this could be this could be the podcast that brought me down. I've done a hundred of these things so far. We have, and honestly, <laughs> if you went through them, I'm sure you would find something to destroy to oh, cancel yeah. me. Oh yeah. Oh my God, I know that. So so I, I live in a glass house. Mm-hmm. So I, I am very careful about that. But at the same time, I do know that there is a difference. There are there are slurs and there's jokes. Sure. And they are different things. And. Uh, like for me, if you went through this pod, my podcast history, you go, you might not get me canceled, but you you could get me committed, <laughs> right? So, I, I also I'm some of the, I'm not gonna say anybody's name because but there are some of the comedians out there and some of their new specials, they're not that funny, right? I think ultimately that's why there's you no get fired. jokes. Like yeah. I'm looking, I get it, you're outraged and I get you're angry and your anger is quite funny, but. You've gotten a bit lazy. Yeah, there's no craft to it. There's, there's no, no design. No, yeah. it's really just anger. And as they see the ground, feel the ground shift beneath them, mm-hmm. and and the really great ones will find a way to manipulate to maneuver through that um, ground as it right. shifts beneath us. Eventually, it will all work out, and there will be casualties. I I absolutely do believe that. Um, but the thing is, when people say you can't say anything anymore, if they came to my buddy Cole's show. They would not say that because my show is appalling. <laughs> I mean, it goes after everyone. It is, it's nasty. But I get away with it. And I, I look at people in the audience, I'm looking right at them, girls with bangs and cat's eye glasses, you know what I mean? And, <laughs> the, you know, the, the heads of the cancel culture, and they're laughing their heads off yeah. as I'm eviscerating them. It was never, I, I feel like... Um, I made a movie, Geekscapes, you know this if you're a long-time listener. Coming out of Columbia Film School, I made a movie called Gay by Dawn. It was a horror movie for homophobes about right. rednecks around a fire telling scary stories. One of them mentions that there might be a gay guy in the woods. Right. And they immediately start pointing the guns at each other because they're like, wait, huh? Yeah. And the guns go off and it's blah, blah, blah. And I made it because the George W. Bush era right. was like, fuck these guys. Yeah. <laughs> Especially coming out of Texas, fuck mm-hmm. these guys. I'm going to make, you know, because I always thought the rule was don't punch down. But I don't agree with that either. Totally what does that it. mean? Exactly. So does that mean... He said over really but, but, but what I'm saying is, uh, my producer now is like, we can't make a feature version of Gay by Dawn. But I'm like... You if, can't make... Okay. But I'm like, I think you could if you're making fun uh, of the fear and you're making fun of the bigotry. But and that does... Fun of the, uh, see, I don't know what this touching down means exactly. For yeah. example, let's say you, you came... I came to this podcast and I saw someone on the street, like a homeless meth head causing an incredible scene and it was hilarious sure and I told you that story is that punching down am I only allowed to tell stories about the Queen of England or do you know what I mean yeah like, if you that... could only make fun of Trump these days right so right. I'm just thinking, so I don't quite understand no this. I think I so think... I don't believe that that so does that mean you can't attack someone that is is lower than you or like a lower class or well, I don't even know what that means but so I'm not totally aboard with I, that I think I don't that, think there are any rules I, yeah I think uh, well the, and there are people that will argue with you, and I don't think I'm. Well, that's I'm not, fine. Yeah, sure. No, I think the arguments are what we're. I think I think what we're what I'm what I'm scared of is eliminating the argument. I think what I'm scared of is eliminating the discussion. Where, no, I totally agree. Yeah, we should like, not. Like, don't eliminate the discussion. So I, mean, I, I, I I do not like the the punching down. But if I done it on the podcast, absolutely. Of course you have. You made some. When you laugh at someone who's mistakes. incredibly drunk, is that not punching down? I mean, if it's Brett Kavanaugh, no. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we make fun of the fact that he went to a UB40 no, concert and they got no, incredibly no, if, drunk. If some guy's incredibly like drunk and falling down, and, no, you and make you fun make of him, fun, and yeah. that's still punching down. Yeah. Well, 
isn't it? I think I think the rule. Are well, we only allowed to punch, to punch down, attack, make fun of someone when they're a powerful person? Right, but drunk? But, but where do we put the but, but where do we put the racism? Where do we put the well, homophobia? We weren't talking about racism. So we, but yeah, we're but punching down on, these marginalized but you also, groups. You also, right? But I'm a gay man. Right. Like you also don't know what people's life story is. Sure. For God's sakes, there could be a gay man that's never had a problem in his entire life. Yeah. So maybe, and there could be a straight guy that's had a hellish life. So if the straight guy attacks the gay guy, isn't he punching, punching up? Right, punching up. Why it's is the gay guy necessarily down? Mm -hmm. Right, especially in this world today. So I, I don't, I don't actually buy that. I don't. No, I'm only. I love I, it. I don't buy it. Scott, no, I don't I understand it. it. Yeah, I don't understand it. And I'm a person. I do like to tr speak truth to right. power, but that doesn't mean. But power is nuanced and, and subtle, and you can't always tell. And the enemy is, 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 comes in many, many forms. And do you think that when people are saying, oh, you can't say something like that, do you think the exacerbation came from this echo chamber of social media where suddenly we're talking about something small and it's rolled up into, now it's a giant snowball, and people are like, and, and then people... It's not, well, it's not that many people that the are... The nuance is all gone it because... Is. No, I think we, I absolutely the, the loudest, I don't believe in I believe in absolute freedom of speech. This is why right. I like the states. It's freedom of speech. I agree with that. Sure. I think you should be allowed to say pretty much anything, and um, I like having discussions about uncomfortable things. And um, I think comedy is something that's been around for thousands and thousands of years, and we're not going to change it mm -hmm. in this generation. It's not mm -hmm. going. It, it'll it'll North, shift. It'll shift. Well, yeah. it's it's mathematical. Like, the truth about speaking up to power and speak down and all that stuff, it is true. The higher a person's power is, or perceived, um, and the further they, f okay, let's say you have a person, I always go to this, the Queen of England, which I think is the one of the greatest, <laughs> yeah. she's a huge figure, sure. and she's, and I, I can say, she, no one really hates her, right? So she falls down the stairs, you laugh. Sure. Now, if it's a, a homeless person, falling down the stairs, it might not be as funny because the person's already been brought down. Sure. So, and that, that, part of the, that part of what you're saying is true, that the higher, because comedy is, one of the things that, that makes comedy is loss of power. Yeah, the shift in dynamics. That's right, yeah. shift in dynamics. Yeah. So, if a homeless person tumbles down the stairs, it's not much of a shift. He's got to fall really funny. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Really or at funny. At least make some sound. The queen <laughs> right. just has to ooh trip, <laughs> and you will laugh your head off because her her loss of power is so much greater. Yeah. So that does that is understandable. But that's drama. That's just this this expansive. But drama. that's just yeah. mathematical, yeah. and that's sure. not going to change. I don't think. But so I also don't understand people people um, people say you can't, you know you got to punch up. Well. You don't know that person. <laughs> that person might be really, really low that day. I don't know. <laughs> I um, and I think we write a lot of comedy when we are low that day, when we are pissed, yeah, when we and, are and, angry. Yeah, and when people joke around, you always joke around about a person who's down or fucked up. So yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, no, no. I grew no. up with five it, brothers. It, I'm not lying. Everything was about that. Oh, and so maybe, maybe it's a gendered thing. Sometimes maybe, fish in a barrel is okay. Maybe male comedy, if sure. there is a thing, is 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 rougher. Sure, and that might be true. And I mean, there is no such thing really as male or female comedy. But I do think of, and maybe this is what's happening: is comedy is going through a transition 
from a very, very male thing mm -hmm. um, to a more, maybe nuanced, more feminine? Does that make sense? Is it? I'm is trying it, to do it without no, getting no, myself no, canceled. No, no, no. Well, whatever. Because <laughs> Geekscape, as you've heard the whole gamut of, of stuff over the last couple of years, um, I think... Is it that binary? Is what I want to ask, or no. is it? No, I think it's representative God, no. of the fact God, that no. No, all no. of these different groups, geeks like on ours being one of them, are now have their they now have their group. And well, they, this and is they what I mean. Voice. They have geeks, their little okay? Because when I was a kid, I was a geek. Geeks yeah. were low. Yeah. they're not low anymore. No, we are kings so of the castle. So you're kings of the castle. Yeah. you're the ones that decide if Batman has nipples or whatever, or the yeah. Joker is a huge hit. So you guys who. The previous generation we're seeing as low. You're now in charge of the of the conversation, mm -hmm. and it's also and it's turned us into assholes in a lot of ways. Absolutely, like complete Everybody, assholes. no one handles power well. Right. Everybody turns into an asshole. For example, <laughs> like like let's be honest, women are are they they're taking the reins. Sure. So women are not necessarily. Um, Punch, you don't punch, it's not punching down with women either because mm -hmm. they're the ones that are really rising. Straight white boys are falling. Mm -hmm. So in many ways, they're really, they're, they're maneuvering to be a new victim group. Sure. And it will happen in time. It's happening. It's absolutely happening. Yeah. And I, have, I cannot help but have empathy because that's just the way I'm made. So I have empathy for that, and I get it. I know as a gay man, gay people are, are doing very, very well right now. But I'm almost too old to take advantage of it. That's no, boring. you're doing fine. Well, it's been I'm doing all right. right. Well, talk but, to me. Like, you've got this Buddy Cold tour. You've got this new piece that you're working on. Yeah. We don't just, need to talk about the new piece. No, it's no, not no, ready. no, we don't. No, I'm just saying that, you know... I'll just read a couple of passages. Power is... Power, you know, it, it, it will... Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's just abs and that, that's never changed. No. And you're right. Geeks are assholes. They can women really, can be assholes. Gays are assholes. I see the reaction of some of these geeks who feel yeah. like somebody's taken away their little blanket, and Ge I'm like, fuck this! Like you guys didn't want you guys wanted to meet girls, but then the second girls are now part of your geek culture, you feel like it was an exclusive club that you've now lost. Right. What's that about? Yeah. So I don't even think like geeks pretending that they're like. Held down is ludicrous. Right. It is ludicrous. So, anyways, that's all about. That's all I'm going to say about punching up and punching down. I think we said it. I think yeah. We said a lot of it. Um, so, you also you've done a lot of like interesting things. Um, the lowest show on earth is one of those things where I feel oh, yeah. like that one. My buddy Nick Scown is creating. He does a. I told him he should interview you because he's got a. Uh, documentary he's doing called nine eleven called too soon specifically about doing comedy around nine oh, eleven. He's got to talk to me. I, I, I told him I would <laughs> yeah. trade emails f with him because sure. he's got people like Mark Maron and different comedians who after nine eleven thought this is too soon. We can't. How do we do comedy in this era? And you specifically, it's like. Well, I was in New York, absolutely. ready to open a show about terrorism. Up. Yeah, my posters went up on the tenth. Your posters went up on September 10th. Yeah. Planes went into the towers on September 11th. Yeah. And my first monologue in the show was Buddy Cole going to Afghanistan <laughs> to take on the Taliban Fuck. because they were blowing up statues of Buddha. And I remember when they did that, summer of 99. That's right. And that's when I became aware of the Taliban, mm -hmm. the Buddha statues. Summer of 99, went, the U.S. coal, mm -hmm. all that shit. Yeah. And I remember that very clearly because I remember going, they're demonic. Because it's a very terrible thing to say, but governments 
and nations kill people indiscriminately, they always have, yes. it's politics. But they never destroy art. And even the Nazis tried to save the art. I mean, when you destroy art, it's, it's not worse than killing people. You're erasing a culture. You're erasing culture. Yeah. And so when they did that, I went, this is a group you're going to be hearing from. I became obsessed with them two years before 9-11. And uh, so when I was in New York, my show was about terrorism. And, and it, of course, when the towers went down, I went down as well. Like I lost, I lost my money, my investment, I lost my show. And for a while, I lost my mind. Mm -hmm. I had a bit of a, I, I think I had a bit of a breakdown after 9-11. Because I, I, first of all, I, I put so much work into it. You were in New York City at the time. I was on my way to New York. I was, I'd just been at Columbia for a week. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. So I was uh, yeah. I was up I was in Morningside, so it wasn't. I was I wasn't on down my way there. to yeah. New York, and then I ended up in New York for the, the next two weeks. Yeah. And I went a because your nuts. show was supposed to open. Yes, and they they canceled it. They yeah. pulled the plug. They called it an act of God, which is a very interesting thing that insurance companies use. So I had no recourse, and um, I just lost it. Because the other thing that, that made me very... That, that was an off-Broadway show you were supposed mm -hmm. to be putting Six up. Six weeks. And it was supposed to start that weekend. The 18th. The 18th. So, the, so a week and a half later. A week later. Yeah, a week later. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, so what happened was uh, I, uh, they pulled the plug and I lost my investment. I, I produced it. Um, I, I co-wrote it. I started it. It was, it was about 12 characters all dealing with terrorism of, it, of many kinds. And you, it was... Wrapped around, there were, and it was all kinds of terrorism. A domestic. one man show, though. One man show. I play all the people, and 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 the and the through line was a high school shooting that went through the shooting through the school through the show, and um, terrorism, like Islamic terrorism and, and Osama bin Laden. Those were the two main themes. But the shooting was the thing that linked everything together, because it was an attempt for me to deal with all this violence in my life. And then what's ironic is that this this act of you know. Ultimate violence brought the show down, hmm. and um, I, I was confused by a lot of things. Also, I was—I didn't understand why I was writing about things that I shouldn't know, because my show was filled with peppered with references to anthrax and nuclear suitcase bombs and Osama bin Laden and the Taliban and war in Iraq and all these things that eventually came true. So I was confused. I was like, "Why am I writing about this?" Like, like. Like, I was troubled by dreams. I was having a lot of dreams like, at the time. Not imposter syndrome. You didn't have imposter syndrome. Like, who What's am that? I to write? Like, it's like, who am I to write about this stuff? No, no it was no. you. I did never you, think you, that. You felt like almost. <laughs> you felt like almost you had this weird premonition. Yes. Stuff going on. That's exactly it. Yes. Yeah. Poltergeist. Yes, I'd had a premonition a year before, and it all came true, and the premonition was about nine eleven, and because I'd been t I'd been attacked by terrorists. Uh, the year before, at your home here, at my LA. home in yeah. West Hollywood, where they burned it. So you know this, yeah. I do know the story. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what that's what precipitated uh, me um, putting to, writing one, the show because I wanted to deal with terrorism because it had happened to me, well, like real terrorism. Your partner at the time, had Joel Soler, he was a filmmaker. Yeah, he made a movie about Saddam Hussein called Uncle Saddam, and I wrote it, and we did it just on our own. This is all pre-9-11. And then the movie started doing festivals, etc. And then he told me one day that they'd put our, I guess they call it doxing now, sure. they'd put our address on, on the internet. And I, I was very naive. I was like, yes, so? And he's like, someone's going to hurt us. And I was like, what? Mm -hmm. 
Like he knew things I didn't know. And I was like, that's ludicrous. And then he told me that our phone was tapped. And I remember on the phone, I would hear clicking. Mm -hmm. and sometimes I'd hear people talking. And I was like, this can't be happening. I just ignored it. And then there was a guy, I remember very clearly the week before the firebomb, and there was a man sitting outside our, our home in a car, like reading a newspaper. And he was there like for hours. And I'm like, it's like my own to get smart. Like, is this a spot? I didn't understand. And I would go, and Joel would say, that guy's there again. And I'm like, I know. And then we got... Um, and you and never wanted to walk over and be like, hey, pal, you need a coffee? No, like, I, I was a bit nervous. Happened? I guess yeah. I was nervous. I knew something was coming, but I didn't understand. I was too naive to understand what was coming. And then um, on November 1st, the day after Halloween, which is uh, interesting, they attacked us. 2000. Uh, 2000. 2000. Yes. And it was, um, they, they took, uh, they had um, gasoline. And they filled up, the f you know, the three garbage cans, the yep. blue one, the red one, and the green one. And they set them on fire. And then they had buckets of red paint, and they splashed the house, so it dripped off like blood. And then they put a note in the foyer that said, in the name of Allah, the merciful and compassionate, burn this satanic film. And we woke up to that. And that was it for me. And he went into hiding. I went back to Canada. I bought a condo, which is the best thing that happened from that time. And um, I proceeded to start writing. And mm. so I started writing a show. And then my first thing was, I started writing about Saddam Hussein and Osama bin Laden and the Taliban. And that was the beginning of the show. Yeah. And everyone would be like, who's the Taliban? Right. Who's Osama bin Laden? And I'm like, you'll know. Yeah. And I started writing about terrorism and anthrax and all these. And I was having You became obsessed dreams. with your life was threatened completely. I yeah. was. It changed me. Yeah. I had PTSD. I didn't realize For it. For sure. And then I, I put this show together and then I ended up going to New York. And then what I dreamed about a year and a half before came true. But you had already survived some scary yeah, shit. Yeah, I've you, survived. When you were a kid, you were, you had a school shooting. When I was a kid, that was in a shooting. Yes. How old were you? Uh, Sixteen. Nineteen seventy-five. Yeah. And in now we've got school shootings like every yeah. week. Yeah. What when when a school shooting now happens? And do you? And do you, what what goes through your mind? I don't. You know, I don't. I don't. Um, register. Oh, I register. Yeah, you register. You I have don't. To. I don't look at it. Like, I don't look at it. Do you it. still have PTSD from being a 16-year-old? What happened? Probably. So someone came into your school in 1975. No, the kid behind me. Kid the kid in my you. class yeah, shot it up. Shot up my whole school. Uh, a kid that was 13. a year or a year earlier. Or no, no, he, he was, was younger. In, no, he was in my class. He was in your class. He sat behind me. No, he was the same age. He sat behind you. He yes, behind he killed my age. teacher. Oh, my God. No, he shot 16 people. He killed three. Um, Look, I, I abs the three. I'm doing. As I was telling you earlier, I'm doing. I'm doing stand up about it now. Mm -hmm. Forty year, over forty years later. Because the block has the blockage lasted that long. Well, you feel no, like there's a blockage. I don't know. Yeah. Welcome to therapy. Th look, at, there's absolutely a part of me. There's absolutely part of it I cannot recall. Mm. So I, I really can't. Like there's a period when we were hiding that I don't really remember. Like I, I remember, but. Mm, I can't get any comedy out of it. No, but, because <laughs> what the hell are you going to say? <laughs> well, there's certain things that I just, I, I really, I'm not skilled enough to get comedy out of it. Right. And um, Do you have to get comedy out of it? Do, do well, I do have to. Like this one, I'm, I want this to be hysterical. Sure. Because I, and you, the only way to make it that is I have to take the character of me and I have to make that person kind of a, a, almost like a ridiculous figure. Yeah. And, and that will make it comic. And, and if I do it without emotion, mm -hmm. 
you know, like I have to, there can't be emotion when I tell the story. Because that will, because emotion seems to kill it. comedy. Um, yeah. I, I, well, yeah, I mean, if you think of like the two guys in Dumb and Dumber, they're oblivious. And well, no, and that, comedy but, is just, yeah. and emotion, they aren't pals. Yeah. Not really. Well, the, mm, or because it falls into tragedy at yes. that point, and if you and if you yeah, go, and if yeah. you're doing and uh, yet yeah, comedy it's hard to pull an audience. Comedy out of, is yeah. so often about tragedy. Of course, that's what's beautiful about it. But in the shooting, like I mean, I I, I tell you know first I do the story, I talk about you know my what it was like, and I also try to relate it to today. Sure. So I, basically, the whole one of the hooks is that I'm always first in everything. <laughs> like first to come out in TV, first to be in a school shooting. You had an interactive website. I did. Cool. I was I was named one of the top twenty sites in the internet in the world at the very beginning of the whole thing. Yes, but I early ni- mid nineties. Yeah, 90s. like ninety five. <laughs> you had like an interactive website. Yeah. Yes, I did. You were a Twitter. Yes, I had a buddy called. I had a site where people could talk to me. I had one of the first um, chat rooms. Sure, personal chat room. But no, but my the hook is that. I'm always first, but there's, the problem is there's no money in it. <laughs> the money hasn't shown up yet. Yeah, like no, yeah. and I do this thing. If Ellen DeGeneres suddenly <laughs> says she was in a school shooting, I will have to kill her. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, honestly, I will. I won't shoot her because that, that, would be, that would be corny. But I tell you, I would probably get away with it. She'll find a way to get into Target. Yeah, yeah. she'll find a way. And, but honestly, and no, one would, no one would blame me. No one would blame me. They're like, yeah, he had to take her out. She took he her had to gig, take her dude. out. But... You know, but it, it, this has taken me years to get to this stage, right? Which you, you're looking at, where it's written out like an like an you know an anal writer. <laughs> well, do you start with the tragedy? I mean, obviously, no. When I first the, started working, when you start it, writing it. Is it the release? Is it the yes. catharsis? When I first started doing it on stage, yeah, I would sweat. Of course, I would. I would um, yell. I would. I just. I, I'd act it all. You're giving out. birth. Yeah, and it was very embarrassing. Mm. And I think people, I mean, the audience enjoys that, but the comedian doesn't. Well, sometimes they get freaked out, and you enjoy that. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I want to get to this part. This sure. is the stage I want to get to. But, um, but birth is painful, and this stuff has yeah. to happen. You, it's a, yeah, it's, but now I'm a, I, I figure, you know, I, I'm, I guess I'm pretty tough deep down. So I've survived a lot. So there must, you know, and I'm, I'm not a religious person, but I do believe in having a purpose in life. And... Um, so I do believe there must be a reason why I'm still here, because I, I, you know, because the universe has tried to take me down quite often, and I just won't go. Um, after the show in New York, and after yeah, like your premonitions have all come true, and suddenly you're questioning a lot. Yeah. How do you put yourself back together? What's part of that that reconstitution process? Because. I think the the one thing is to be defeated. The second thing is to say this isn't going to be the end of me. What? what, <coughs> what, what how the hell do you put yourself? Back? I just choked That's in this fine. here thinking about that question. <laughs> um, how the hell do you put time, yourself back together? Time, I guess. I don't know if I ever did. Right. Honestly, as we are learning, maybe there's blockage here from 40 years ago with this stuff. Well, that's yeah. the thing. I, I started when I had I had cancer 10 years ago as wow. well, and when I had cancer, I beat it. But when I did. In Canada, of course you did. You're Scott Thompson. I, I beat like, it. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> you're just kicking ass. <laughs> when I had it in Canada, when you, with healthcare, you're also assigned a psychiatrist. Hmm. And so, for the first time, and so the psychiatrist, she was very good. She was very young. I was like one of her first. She wasn't even like a, a full full so psychiatrist. Kind of a student, right. Yeah. And uh, but she was v- wonderful, and she was very empathetic. 
and um, I, 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 she wanted to know about childhood things and all that. Because I also believe that cancer has, you know, it's not just physical. Um, it has a spiritual element and an emotional element and I think trauma and pain. Can I think you're covering your mic a little bit. Oh, yeah. yeah no, I think that trauma yeah. can cause cancer, so I was starting to... You think that they, we release chemicals mm -hmm. in trauma that will slowly accumulate into yes. cancer cells. Absolutely. Or can, cancer helping Well, agents, cancer yeah. cells are just cells right. that have gone rogue. They have gone rogue, right. Yes. But it will coax the cell to go rogue. Right. Because I think cancer loves many things. Smoke, fat, anger, yeah. um, sadness, trauma. It loves it. You know, I mean, it just does. Um, pollution. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, because it's all the same thing. And, and so I started talking about, I was started to, because I started figuring out, why did I have cancer? I had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in my stomach. My, I come from a family which does not have a lot of cancer. You know, we lived for a long time, then we died of strokes. Hmm. But cancers, you know, were tough. Coiled and, like a spring, though. Yes, oh, very much like, so. Coiled like a spring. Waspy Canadians. No fucking outlet. Absolutely. Right. We're talking about... Whiter than white. Yeah, and when your show gets canceled, <laughs> yeah. suddenly you're clenching harder. Whiter than white. Yeah. Yeah. You and need uh, outlets. You yes. need this stuff. Um, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah. So, I, anyways, so she started asking me questions, and I started talking about the shooting. And I'd always told the story like it was f not funny, but I'd always kind of like dined out on that story forever and ever. But I never really thought, I mean, I knew that it had affected me, but we didn't talk about PTSD back mm. when I was young. Like I knew that I was troubled, and I knew that I look back in the patterns now, and I look I look at the way I behaved for the, those years after, and I look at the way my school behaved. We were the whole the school was sick. Right. I mean, we were all. No one talked to us. No one gave us counseling. Like the year after the shooting, it happened in the end of the year, and then we went back in the fall. The whole school went through a huge religious conversion. Hundreds of kids were saved. The halls became clogged with kids praying. No one ever, yeah, and yeah. no one ever connected the dots. Isn't that crazy? Did, no did, one. But the, do you think that this need, this subconscious need to act out, is what led you onto the stage? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I think this is what I'm trying. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out. I think that the certain things that happened in my childhood primed me for this kind of a, a career. Sure. We're kind of a kamikaze career. Throw yourself off a cliff and see what happens. You're splitting at the seams. And you kind of fall in love yeah. with like defeating unbeatable odds, mm -hmm. right? And that's my problem, I think. Your adrenaline junkie. Yes, that's exactly it. Like a kid who grows up in war or something, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, 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 and history, the history that I've lived in, has played, up, has played right into my plan, <laughs> right? Yeah. Sadly. Do you want to relieve? I do. I'd love to be at peace and not be funny anymore. <laughs> and I know they I know they don't have to be connected. Yeah. But I made that I'm sure when I was young I made that terrible connection that pain equals you need to have pain to have comedy um or to make art which I don't think is true. Um Were there parts where may were there times in your life when maybe you thought that you needed help but you avoided it because you worried that it would take away your superpowers? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Like you're uh, like, my, my superpowers, I don't want to be cured uh, of my superpowers, this tension that absolutely. I have and this acting out that yes, I have. Yes, absolutely. I can sell things like, like when I told the, 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 um, uh, the therapist sure. about the shooting, for the first time, no, since the first time since I was young, because I remember the day after I cried with my mother at the table. 
but I, only my mom. Like, I would never have cried with my brothers or my father or any of our friends. For gay men, you were very macho. That was a very macho denial well, I, stuff going on there. I have four brothers. Yeah. I grew up in the 70s in Canada. I had to. Yeah. And, but, you know, so I kept it all inside. But I, until that day that I cried with my mom, because she let me, she knew that it was a, a big deal. But I never did. Until that moment, before, like 30 years later, when I started crying like a baby. Because... You oh, see, it was 30 years later with the therapist. The therapist is when yeah. I started really yeah. realizing, oh, that's why I, I can't stand balloons. Oh, that, God, no, yeah. Oh, I hate balloons. Well, they fucking pop that's in why I hate, in 1975 that, again. Yeah, that's why I can't handle um, cars backfiring. Sure. That's why I don't like loud noises. Because for years, if someone a car backfired or someone dropped a tray and it made a noise, I would be on the floor. I, I couldn't help it. For many, many years. And you years. never made that connection back to that. Mm, you, there was something, there was I, a... I guess I did. I did, but no, I didn't quite connect, connect the fact that it caused me trauma, that, that it hurt physical, me physically. Physical. Because, Visceral trauma. Yeah, because my... And, and that wasn't the worst... There, there were other things that happened that were just as bad, but they weren't... They're not as, um, you know... They're not like front-page news like this one. But, you see... My, tr- my, my cancer, I believe, was triggered by um, guns because it happened. And so that's what got me thinking down this line. I, it was like 10 years ago, and I was living in West Adams, and there was a, like a gunfight outside, my, like a gang thing yeah. outside my it's door. It's hip now. 10 years ago, it was becoming hip, and there were still a couple It was rough fights. Yeah. where I live. West oh, yeah. Adams is, is just off the 10 gigs, Gavis. And is it it's, hip now? I, well, I it's, think a lot of people have started buying. It was there starting ten only years because ago because those craftsman homes, but the craftsman homes beautiful. Have been, but they've been chopped to shit too to become duplexes yeah. and things. And but there's been, some gorgeous yeah, ones. But that's what, but that's where I was living, and I heard a gunshot, and I hadn't heard gunshots since I was a boy. When I lived uh, in Culver City near West Adams, I heard the gunshots down the street. Oh yeah, yeah. So I hadn't heard gunshots since I was a kid, and I went into complete shock, literally, like as if it was like yesterday. And I remember very clearly go, that that feeling. If you, you, I'm sure you've been in shock. Yeah. That feeling of like you're in cotton batten, kind of. You're just kind of like everything's slower, and yeah. you're protected. It protects you. And um, I remember spending the night against the thickest wall in in the apartment because I knew that you had to do that because the bullet can't go through the wall. We hope. And then the next morning, I woke up. I woke up. I finally got to sleep, and I had pain in my stomach. Literally the next day. So I have this belief that the that things that happened in my childhood set the set the stage for cancer. They all accumulated in that place. Mm-hmm. And then when cancer heard the shots, it went, "Let's go." We're gonna metastasize. Yeah, that's what I think. Yeah. I know that sounds really weird, and mm. I kind of I kind of personify cancer, but that's the way I think of it, and I think that's what happened. So I started thinking a lot about that, and so and that's what's led me to this finally. Because I've written about this a million times in characters and monologue, but never just as me. Right. Right? So, like I've done, you know, this, my podcast, which is called PTSD, which deals with trauma. This is what I'm doing. I'm doing a 12 episode podcast on trauma. And I write pieces, f- and I realize, like, I, I do, I, like, I do character, like, radio monologues in them and stuff. 
I have so many monologues where people are shot. It's crazy. <laughs> uh -oh. Someone's so get, Scott's getting it out. So many. And I didn't realize. I went, holy fuck. Until you looked at the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I go, it was like, God, there's a lot of yeah. people getting shot. What's this about, For a boy Scott? from Brampton, that's oh, a little weird. What's this about? <laughs> so, you know, but, you know, and, and, to, and, and, to, and to suddenly, to look now at the world and go, wow, school shootings are common because i start off my routine by going oh i love this time of year back to school shooting season and i mean that's how i begin it that's <laughs> at that point if the audience isn't in they're well fun. yeah they they freak they yeah that's but then i tell them say, yeah. but then i let them know i go I, and then i go i know but lately it looks like it's just one walmart or outdoor festival after another mm -hmm. people i hate to say it but we're losing touch with our roots yeah and then i do a thing where people are like how can you be so cavalier and then i say to them well I can I can be this cavalier because I was in a shoot school Those shooting, so I'm allowed to. Yeah. And of course, and then I kind of like riff on the whole comedy thing, which is that stay in your lane. I'm going. It is my fucking lane. <laughs> I can talk about this. And then, but I have to really, I really have to pull them along. Yeah, coax them because they, especially young people, who it, this is such a gigantic thing in their lives, and they're seeing this this fucking old guy, and they're like. Is he kidding? This is mine, not they, yours. That's right. And they yeah. go, we invented this. I go, no, we invented a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, you didn't invent um, <laughs> gender fluidity either. No. It's been around for... I hate to tell you guys. Thousands of years. Yeah. None of it's new. Yeah. None of it's sorry. <laughs> and, but I, I, you know, I think by the end, they're like, oh, he's, he's, it's real. This guy's not so bad. Yeah. He's not taking anything from me. My identity isn't threatened. Right. Like, and, and and I and, and I I just my the whole there's no message. But I do I do want people to know that you can survive anything, and you can make it hilarious. Hmm. That's really it. Anything. Well, Scott, we got some questions from the Geekscapists. Oh. And we'll call it. I mean, okay. I think that's beautiful what you just said. Oh, okay. Thank you. Don't you? Yes, I'm I'm enjoying this. Um, welcome to Geekscape. <laughs> are they, uh, we're not live or anything, No, not at all, not at all. Uh, they submitted these, um, over the course of the last week. Um, but obviously people are saying the things like, I miss Kids in the Hall. Oh, yes, this that. so but do I. You guys are, is there a chance of a tour and that kind of thing? There's a chance of a reboot. Of a reboot? Mm -hmm. We're, a different cast. Oh, no, that's fine. You guys, you guys are the kids in the hall, like a reboot. No, there'd yeah. never be that. I, I we would never, so. no, no, we would never no, do that. No, no it's us five. Um, I actually made a friend when I posted for questions. Uh, I made a friend in Steve Hando, who's up in Seattle, and uh, he's de actually declared September 13th Scott Thompson Day. Why is that? I don't know, but he actually did it. This guy, Steven, who wow. uh, was so enthused that you were coming on the podcast, and he said, just pass along that a, a Seattle comedian who's also gay and Canadian hmm. thinks you're a goddamn hero. Oh, that's very nice to it's hear. Super nice. Yeah, Super, nice. super, super nice, and he does a character named Keefy Nix that, uh, that, that he does, and I think you inspired a lot of people to do characters and Geekscapist you know I go to Comic Con and my characters with my underwear and run around oh you do oh, absolutely Scott <laughs> I mean that's all kids in the hall like it's all this envelope pushing stuff that you guys did that were just incredible and, and, and I'd love I'd love a chance to do it again well it sounds like you guys are because we're, we're all the interesting thing about us is that not none of us have really become big stars right so we're still hungry. Well, I don't say right like, yeah, yeah. But no, I mean, it's true. You've got, like, it is true. You've got Dave well, was on the, you guys have had a couple shows he, here and there. He's but still a cult figure. It hasn't changed you guys. No, because we've never had, we've never had like, 
you know, Amy Schumer, Sarah Silverman kind of success. You know what I mean? We've never had that big success. So we're still hungry. But your inspiration is for all of them. Well... You gave birth well, to yeah, all these people. Yeah, but it's interesting because I think in a weird way we're... Like Bruce always says, that everything he touches turns to cult, right? <laughs> it's a very Bruce thing to it's say. It's a very Bruce thing Coming to say. Coming out of like a punk, he, the cult was probably like his favorite he, band. He He's is, all into he, that and stuff. he is that, that, and he probably loves that. Me, I was not like that. I wanted to be a star. Yeah. <laughs> I made no bones about it. I was, I was embarrassing. They're like, Scott, that is so uncool. Oh, no, I want to be a bright, shining star. What? That is so uncool. <laughs> Um, John Morehouse has any insights on the writing process as well as where you feel sketch comedy fits into the current landscape. Is there a place for it? Sketch like, comedy? Like there was, I think, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Have, 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 have they not seen um, I Want You to Leave right now? Yeah. What's it called? I uh, Want You to Leave? I Want You to Leave. It's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's really good sketch comedy. And, but I think, John, we did talk about your process of sketching things out in your head, writing yeah. them down on hand. But sketches are different. Yeah. Sketches are collaborative. Can they? Yes. Okay, not always. Okay? With the kids in the hall? Yes. Now, here's the thing. Sketches are the number, my number one favorite thing to do. My favorite thing in comedy is sketches. They're like short stories. They're like songs. You get to write it. You get to dress it. You get to, like, you know, produce it. And you get to perform it. Putting on a show. It, it's, and then you're done. And you move on to something new. So it's fantastic. I enjoy it more than anything else. I think the five of us are like that. Um, you don't but, drag it till it's dead. No. And the other thing about uh, about the kids in the hall is that yes, all of us are, are writers that write alone as well. We all write in duos. We write in trios. We almost never wrote together except you can't say anything in the kids in the hall ever that anything anyone did was ever just theirs. You can't. Mm -hmm. It's collaborative. Like even if you bring in a monologue and you've you know, you sweat it over it, every word. Bruce or Kevin will bring in a joke that's better. Mm -hmm. Or they'll say, do it this way. So anything that we bring to the table, not always, but almost always, once it goes through the kids in the hall ringer, comes out better. Yeah, it's kind of nice to have that empowering safety net. It really is, because you've got four guys who are like, they're all great. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, we're all... We're all about the, we're still about making it amazing mm -hmm. and helping each other to do that, which is amazing that we're still like that. I mean, we went through a lot and we've tried to kill each other and destroy it over and over again, but we find that we can't. Mm -hmm. So we've kind of accepted our lot, which is a great lot to accept. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I think. Could be worse. Could be worse. Like, I mean, sometimes I look and I go, God, I'll always just be a kid in the hall. And I'm like, well, there could be so much worse than that. You know what I mean? Like, fuck, lots of people would like that. <laughs> so, um, we got, at what age did you realize, oh, now that was a quote from your character. What age do you realize you might be gay? In your early 40s or 50s? <laughs> I think that's a quote. Jay Cherian submitted that one. Oh. Uh, what became your favorite way to workshop your character's sketches stand-up? That's from Jessica Robertson. Great comedy can come from uh, overcoming adversity. Uh, did making did get, having cancer make you funnier? Well, here what cancer did for me was it it, it allowed me to um, take on stand up comedy without fear. Mm. I'd always played with it and I'd done it, but I'd never considered myself a stand up comedian. I always I have too much respect for the art form, 
So I never wanted to be one of those people that, well, he had a TV show and now he's doing stand-up. No, I wanted to become a, a good one. A good one. Yeah. So that's what cancer did for me. After I beat cancer 10 years ago, I went back, I was in Canada, I decided to reinvent myself. So I embedded myself in the new community, the comedy community in Toronto, all the young ones, you know, and I just started over. And they must have revered you. Well, they did at the beginning, and de but then, yes, but they then did. then you became one of them. Well, then I became one of them because yeah. then they, I would drink with them, I'd smoke pot with them at the end of the show, right? You know, I, <laughs> I'd be inappropriate with some of the young men. I know I was. You know, <laughs> don't lie. I was, don't lie. Uh, there was a couple of things. <laughs> yeah. That never happened. But, you know, they would go, oh, he's a human being. He's yeah. got a sex drive. He's a guy. He's real. They'd see me drunk, or do you know what I mean? Yeah. They'd see me bomb over and over again. And then, and then after that, it was done, and it, but it took me years before mm -hmm. I came back here. I came back here three years ago when I thought I was ready. Yeah. And, but I, until I, and so I just did it over and over and over again. Because, and, and cancer made me go, I have nothing to be afraid of on stage any longer. I can be myself. It's a different world. I can be myself. I don't have to hide it. And uh, so that, that, that's been really a thrill. Like, and that's why this, uh, this is stand-up, and I, I, it's... It's a real, it's a it's a it's a, a real art form, and I I, I respect it, and I, I just want to be good at it. Um, and yes, characters can be hiding in a way, and they can just be, yes, they, they can. can just show little pieces of you. That you but they really also get. are illuminating. Sure, like characters, they can be id. They hide you, but they actually, they can reveal you very much. Um, Jeff, uh, Edwin Black, who's a, a Star Trek fan, we have him here on Geekscape, of course. How much fun did you did you have on your episode of Voyager? Well, that was almost the most fun I ever had in Hollywood, honestly. Because it's the acting you wanted to do as a kid. That's right. Yeah. Uh, you know why? I got to play heterosexual, because no one in Hollywood ever let me play straight, mm -hmm. and and all these woke liberals who mm -hmm. all thought they were helping me out by giving me another gay part. They really were just reinforcing this idea that I could only play gay. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not being ungrateful, but you know Thanks guys. Yeah. Well, when I got when Brandon Braga offered me this part, I thought finally he just lets me be a character. Yes, I'm an alien with a giant blue head, but I but get I'm to acting. I'm acting. I'm 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 straight. I'm pursuing set what's her name? Eleven of what's seven, seven of nine. nine. Yeah. Seven of nine? She was hot. Hot. Totally hot. And that was fantastic, and I. It, but, so that's why I loved it, and I would have like right now. I would just love to play a boring dad. Let's do it. Or a you know a cuckolded husband, or a, sure. pu a pussy hound. <laughs> Let's do it. That's what I really love to do I mean, now is play a real Lothario. I mean, isn't that what Neil Patrick Harris did? I mean, in in in. Yes, he did. Yeah, he played a Lothario. He was, he, he was one of the only people that's ever been able to escape that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because he grew up in front of America's eyes. Sure. And then he came out, well, he was into the show. Right. Like he didn't come out before. He wouldn't have been no, hired, let's be honest. He'd done White Castle and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, and, then he, and he, he came out during the show. Talking about your mother, yeah. Yes, and so they wouldn't have hired him if he was openly gay. I mean, I know you that. You don't believe so? Oh, I know so. I, I, there's no belief, I know so. Yeah. There's no question it would not have happened. No question. Well, let's cast you in something. Let's get you no, going. I, it's tr now it could happen, but it could not have happened for me back then. They would never give me those parts. Um, speaking of parts that you didn't play, are there any iconic characters from Kids of the Hall that you did not play that you wish you had? Well, Chicken Lady. Chicken Lady. That's Kevin's character. No, Mark. Mark's character. Yeah, Chicken Lady. Um, 
Which gives everybody nightmares. Well, it's, <laughs> it's the, fucking it's, scary it's, as hell. It's one of the, I think, greatest sketch characters of all time. Mm -hmm. Tammy. Yeah. Bruce's character. Yeah. You know Tammy? I love fucking Tammy. Although, I did create Tammy because Tammy was created by Buddy Cole in a Buddy Cole sketch. But, but you couldn't do Buddy Cole and Tammy. No, at the but same when time. Bruce saw what I was doing with the Buddy with this character, uh -huh. he took it and ran with it. Because it's like it's like Chicken Lady. Mark didn't um, didn't create Chicken Lady. Kevin created Chicken Lady. Mm -hmm. He created Chicken Lady in a piece called. Um, a, a guy who ran a, um, a freak show, and his, his his talent was he could make his nose bleed at will, uh -huh. right? And so that was classic Kevin sketch. But then Kevin goes, "Yeah, come come and see me. There's there's a lady. There's a, there's a chicken lady." And and then they cut to Mark. Mark gotta get laid. And that was it. And Mark, it was born out of Kevin's sketch, but Mark took it and ran with it. And I, th I find that really interesting when, when uh, like, you know, like the Queen, for example. I play the Queen. Ooh, yes, you but did. it was Mark that created the Queen. Mark's the one that forced me to do the Queen. He said to um, Judy and Jerry, who are our makeup and uh, hair wizards, and he was like, I want, you, sh you should make Scott up as the Queen. And, and they were like, why? He goes, he, I think he'd look like her. <laughs> I didn't even know. And I grew up in a very monarchist um, family. And in Canada, they exist, a lot of them. Mm -hmm. So very modern, like pictures of the royal family in the house everywhere and all that. And so when they made me up as the queen, it was like, what's going on? And everyone was like, you look like her. And I remember very clearly coming out of the, the makeup trailer and the crew going, what's happening? It's the queen. It was the queen. It was so weird. I, I have her features. I just yeah. have the features of a Windsor. And um, you have <laughs> royal blood. I thought I did. I thought I used to think, oh, I must be uh, distantly related to the Windsors. I did some research. I was on a Canadian television show called Who Do You Think You Are? Yeah. They have it here, too. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Yeah. And they discovered my roots, and they're anything but royal. <laughs> oh, no, I'm descended from a prostitute in Cornwall. No. <laughs> and, a, and, a, and a washerwoman in Ireland. A bunch of sailors so, passing through. Oh, yes, and a sailor. Yeah, yeah a sailor and a whore. And that, that's the kind of town Cornwall is, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, how do you know that? Yes. Cornwall. It's all it's, it's all sailors and it prostitutes. Yes, and pirates. It's all pirates, right? And then the other side is my mom's side, which are just like you know, fucking poor Irish sod farmers. But no, but anyways. But I remember very clearly, like when Mark did that, and then I took it and I ran with it. But I didn't even. I wasn't even. I had I hadn't even worked on the voice or anything. I just went hello. That's all I did. I had no real. Concept. Yeah, you got the visuals. You guys are good. And you then eventually, I think the character got good. But at the beginning, I'm not very <laughs> just, good. Oh. But I'm really just coasting on my looks, right. her looks, right? And um, but I'll tell you, my great one of my crazy goals is to play the queen in The Crown. Sure. From sixty to when she goes from sixty to seventy, I'll be ready for it then. <laughs> and I'm thinking they would never. They couldn't give that to a man. I know that. But I've, I'd also like to play, do that um, play on stage, The Audience, which is about the Queen. And it's her, her, basically her story with every prime minister. And I'd love to do it seriously. Like, I'd love to play a female role like that seriously. Mm -hmm. It'd be really interesting. Yeah, I mean, why not? Why not? It's like, why not? Why not? I, I think, yeah, why not? Uh, Tim Powers asks, how do you want brain candy remembered? Well, I think it's a great satire. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, I think it's a, a prescient film. Too early for its time? Yes. Yeah. Again, no, no money. Yeah. No money in being first. No. Uh, that's our curse. Maybe now that we're older, we've slowed down just enough that maybe we'll be right on time. But <laughs> the, uh, was was the Cancer Boy thing like a death knell for the film? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. And was that the hill you guys died on in that film yeah. with that thing? Yeah. And it's crazy. Like I look back and I go, should we have cut it? I don't think we could have done it. We would have could have cut Cancer Boy out. Yeah. They wanted to. Yeah. And and because we wouldn't. They didn't give. They they gave the. You guys were flexing, or they gave the 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 movie no um, press. Right. They buried it. I don't think Paramount had any idea who we were. They were just doing another Lord Michaels movie, and then when they saw what we were, they were like, "What the hell? These cross-dressing Canadian freaks? What the <laughs> hell? They didn't know what was up." But you know, in a weird way, like Cancer Boy, it's kind of bonding for us when we all die on a hill for a. Re- for a dumb reason. And Lauren hadn't told you guys, like, hey guys, the Cancer Boy thing has to... Oh, yes. He had. He told us we should. Cut it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you have to remember, we're the idiots that made Lorne Michaels the villain in the movie. Right. right. I mean, <laughs> Don Rorator is Mark's impersonation of Lorne Michaels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's... It's, it's, fa- it's a real meta to, yeah. thing. There's a lot of real, you know, like... That is fascinating. The man... And I have not seen that movie since I was 16, oh, 17 The man got us... A television show and, you and a movie, him. and how do we repay him? Yeah, <laughs> we evis- we eviscerate him in a movie. That's like the, that's like what Howard Stern would do whenever he had the program directors. He'd be like, "Oh, thanks for the job. I'm now going to rip you every morning on the totally. air." Totally. But but Lorne Michaels, to his credit, is a man who understands comedy deeply. Mm-hmm. I don't think it bothered him. I they think he, been fun. I think he was kind of thrilled <laughs> that we were. Such dicks that we would do that. Now you have to remember, he's a Canadian too. Sure. So he understands. Canadians are a little different that way. We're nastier. We seem nicer. You're supposed to be nicer. But no. You don't want any of us coming up there. No. If Trump wins again. That's not going to happen. You guys. <laughs> I don't are, know. No, man. it's, it's not. So <laughs> oh my God, I'm so sick of people saying that. It ain't going to happen. <laughs> no one's going up to Canada. Have you met one person that moved to Canada? Because actually, I no, I'm here. How, how would I know them? Have you never had any friends that left? <laughs> uh, listen, they give me all sorts of excuses for not being my friends anymore. Moving uh. <laughs> me to Canada would actually be one of the nicer things that they've said when they no longer <laughs> talk to me. Um, okay, uh, ask him what he thinks of Picnic Face. Oh, Picnic Face, you're brilliant, Suzanne Lewis. That was a brilliant, brilliant mm-hmm. Canadian series. Yeah, good. Uh, and then people are just espousing how much they love and miss Kids in the Hall. But it sounds like you guys are looking for this uh, revamp. We are. Yeah. We're right now. It's been a long time, this negotiation. We'll see if it happens. Mm-hmm. I'm very, I am hopeful, but I have to manage my expectations. But it would be a dream come true. To, yeah. Would um, this piece that you're putting up on stage, yeah. the one about, the sh- has pieces from the shootings, etc. Um, could that be filmed? Could that turn into something oh, yes. beyond the stage? Oh, that's well. What I'm doing, I've, I've written. I have a movie. I have yeah. written a movie that's inspired by the shooting. Mm-hmm. I've been I've been working on it for 20 years. Sounds like you've been working on it for 40. Yes, <laughs> but I started writing it the day after Columbine. Wow. Because I had I, Columbine threw me. Um, 
it, it, Columbine really understandably. Threw, yeah, it really threw me yeah. because, well, it, it was such a it was such a terrible death toll. They looked like us, like everything I watched <clears throat> on television looked extremely similar to Canada in the 70s, right? It was like Colorado, mm -hmm. so they were like almost all white kids, middle-class kids. And I remember turning the TV on and seeing them coming out of the school, right? And the police were um, shepherding them and they had their heads down and or they were showing their hands and all that. And I had a, I just was, I had a, I wouldn't say a flashback, but it really affected me. Sure. And so, I thought, well, and then, this is a weird thing again, but it goes back to the dreaming thing. The night, uh, the day after Columbine, I had a dream that my dead teacher came to me. <gasps> Jesus. And she knocked on the door, and I was partying, like doing cocaine or something. Yeah. And we we're like, who the hell is that? And I opened the door, and there she is. And she was like only 26. She was young. She was uh, pregnant. She was six months pregnant. Yeah, it was a terrible thing. And I was her... I was her sort of favorite sure. student, like I was a troublemaker, but I did really well in English, and she loved me for, she encouraged me to be a writer, which is interesting. And she was there, and I remember she looks inside, and she's like, what are you doing, Scott, wasting your life? And I'm like, I'm sorry, I, I'm sorry. And she goes, uh, and she says to me, I want you to do something for me. And I went, what? And she goes, I want you to dance with my bones. And I, I woke up and I wrote it down. And the next morning I went, dance with my bones. Oh, she wants me to write something that will make what happened matter or to just right. witness in a way. Right. And so I began writing a film the day after with no idea of what I was doing or where it would go. And I've been working on it for 20 years. I've had it close to being made, but every time I do, Another shooting will happen. Sure. Or we can't make that right people now. People will. Yeah. It's, and I'm like, yeah, but Van too Sant soon. I'm going. Yeah, it's not no. too soon for me. And you know, so but I found a guy two years ago, a collaborator, who, um, who really found because I found a way for me to make this script makeable. Mm -hmm. Like because I, I realized that I had. I had been treating the script in many ways as like therapy, and I, it was almost a memoir. Like I wrote it the way it happened. But it still needed the structure and commercial. But it didn't yeah. have a, it wasn't a movie. Right. And I was always going, why aren't they making my movie? And then I started looking at it clearly two years ago and went, oh, because it's not a good movie. <laughs> right. It's not. And I went, oh, it's not a good script. It's just, it's me. It's like I'm, I'm. It's, I'm vomiting it out, and people, but people don't know what happened, so I need to make this a movie. So I decided, and I remember Bruce McCullough also said to me, look, at your script's fascinating, but there's no way in for other people. Right. You have to fictionalize it. And I was like, it was very hard for me to fictionalize it. I felt that if I did... You'd betray it. It's exactly it. Yeah. Betray the people, yes. And so that took me a long time to let go. So the last two years I've been letting go and I've been working with this guy and he's in he, he, he gives me notes, really hard notes that I need. And so I'm now at a place where I'm ready for the script to be seen by people. And I think now I have a movie that's not my story. But it's your inspired. Story. Yeah. Oh, it is. But it's 
not, I don't feel like I'm betraying anyone because I go, well, it's not you. Mm -hmm. That's, this is a different teacher. Uh, it's inspired by her, but it's not her. And that, the only person that, even though, even the members of my family, I go, well, inspired by you, but it's not right. you. So I don't feel I'm betraying anyone and I'm not betraying anyone, the memory of it. And originally, also, I was, I wanted to make it a comedy. Sure. And it hit me, I went two years ago, it doesn't have to be a comedy. Were you protecting yourself? Yes, I think that's exactly it. Yeah. And I thought, because I had a hook sure, to it. Sure. And then I thought, well, maybe it's not a comedy. Maybe it's just a movie and it has funny moments in it, but ultimately, not a comedy. So it's a distance game of, yes. like, I don't want to get too close, yet I have to fictionalize it to look at it objectively. Yeah, yes, because comedy yeah. does give so you some start, distance. Yeah. yeah. And... Um, once I found that, it changed everything. So now, so now I look at it as a script and a story. I'm emotionally invested in it, but it's not an agony for me. Yeah. And I can change things and go, well, that's not what she said. Okay. And um, it's been great. So I think it's now, it's, I think it's really funny. I mean, the main character, he's, he's based on me, and there's lots of fun funny things, but ultimately it ends in, it's a tragedy. I mean... Could you play the mother? No, here's the thing, here's the thing, I wrote the movie originally... Not as a piece of comedy, but like you said, like playing no. a dramatic piece. No, that, no, is no, there a dramatic I'm, part for you in the film? No longer. Right. I've aged out of every part. Principal? No, he's no character. Right. Actually, the principal has one little bit. He never, you never see him, you hear him on the public address. Okay. So I could do that. Um, I originally wrote it where I would play the teacher, sure, the main teacher, and then I'm too old for it now, and so I can't play him now. And then I thought I could play the I could play the pastor, sure, yeah, which would be fine. But then I go, eh, it's just one scene. Do I need to be in it? And then I thought, well, I could play the father, my own father, yeah. and then I went, that's too weird, or distracting from distracting. Yeah. And then I it hit me, no, I want to direct it. And I've never wanted to direct. This is the this is the one I'm going to direct. I'm going to make it. I'm going to direct it. I'm not going to be in it. Um, there's no need for me to be in it. And, and I don't I don't need to be in it. And um, but I want to direct this one movie. You know who knows if I'll ever direct anything ever again. But this is the one I have to. First of all, because I promised her I would. Right. You don't want to get haunted. Hmm. Yeah. Be haunted. And it's true. No I know that's a, that's a weird thing. I guess that's strange way to run your career <laughs> from dreams. But there's career and there's life. Yes. And you have to really only be in service to one. And this thing is with her is that I do need to get this made. Sure. For everyone, for all the people that went through what we went through and for her. And the people who are still going through it. Well, that's true. For all the kids that are going through it, to let them know that you, c you can survive. Mm -hmm. You cannot just survive, you can thrive. Mm. And it's just life, you know? Like, this is how, ever since then, I've never believed that anything's safe. Like, I always know that you can turn a corner and there can be a gun or an alligator, something. Right, right? A gun, an alligator with a gun. Yeah, okay, so I don't really, I don't worry too much about this stuff. I also figure like, well, that ain't gonna happen again. Like, I, I, I go like, you know what, really, I'm the best person to go with to a concert because it's not going to happen.
Yeah. Like they should hire me in school, so I can just wander the schools. You're safe, kids. It's not going to happen. I think the statistics might start catching up because <laughs> it's it's out there. There's a war. I mean, it's I, a, I think it, it's I think a terrible. Was, thing. I think it was somebody who survived Vegas just to die two weeks later in another one. I think yeah. I think I heard a story like that. There, that is Vegas. true. Yeah, but you know, we also need to remember that. The kids need to be left alone. And also, it's all tied up with this culture of fame. Sure, sure. And I get that. Because the, the, the shooting was my first experience with fame. Like, I do, I tell a story. I'll tell you this joke. Sure. I, I gave my first interview after the shooting. And um, I was coming out of a funeral with a group of friends. <laughs> and a reporter came running up to us. And they put their microphone in our face. And they go, what's the mood like in there? And the I, fuck? I'd seen a lot of television. Yeah. I went, no comment. And then I walked into a telephone pole. Oh, <laughs> that's my first interview. And I go, <laughs> I've been doing the same interview ever since. <laughs> so, but it is true, and that it was, it was my first experience with fame, and it, and it's, it really changed. It changed everyone. Yeah. Like everybody in the school, everybody had their leather. Everybody bought the school jacket. You know, we were in the front page of every paper in the world. Queen of England, the Queen sent us a telegram, the President of the United States, the Prime Minister. We were a big deal. Right. It brought you together, but as different people. Suddenly it did bring us together, but we, we acted out for years right. afterwards, and no one made any connections. We became a real druggy school. After the, <laughs> after the, after the um, religious conversion, then we became a super druggy oh, school. The pendulum swung we back, just, yeah. We just went through hell, and no one ever connected Correlated. or helped us. Yeah, I think the pendulum is... Now it's too much. Yeah. Now it's like some kid ha gets counseling because they saw something on TV, which mm. is, to me, ridiculous. But we've swung so far the other way. Yeah. But the way I grew up, it was hard-nosed. Like I'll do one more joke. Sure. This is true. This is how different things are today. Um, when I got home, after being gone for hours, and my mother had two boys in the school... And I hadn't called her because there was no cell phones. So I'd been gone for hours. The shooting was done hours ago. And my mother had no idea where I was. So when I finally got home, she was pissed at me. <laughs> she was like, oh, someone took their sweet time. Like, I'm like, what? And she's no sympathy. She had no idea what you'd been through. None. Still never asked me. Oh, and I go, I'm sorry. And she's like, oh, what, what's your excuse? I'm like, I was witnessing history. Oh, really? Don't be so dramatic. And then I remember asking my mother uh, if she called Dad, right? Dad, he was at work, of course. And she goes, don't be ridiculous. I'm not allowed to call your father at work unless it's an emergency. <laughs> Quote. Holy Can shit. you imagine that? That's what it was like. That's <laughs> 70s. That's 70s parenting. <laughs> and I wasn't wounded, yeah. so therefore... It wasn't an emergency. Yeah, well, they just, I mean... Isn't that weird? Ten years later, they just dropped me in front of a television. And a lot of us. Yeah. And without it, I don't think we would have discovered you. Oh, well, thank so you. Thank you. it's all a continuous river. Mm. And, um, Scott, thanks for coming on the show, man. Thank you very this much. This awesome. I really enjoyed this. I love talking to you about this stuff. And, um... You've been hilarious and insightful and um, just fantastic. Thank you for being so candid with us. Um, Geekscapists, um, what's some of the stuff you want to promote? What's some of the stuff we can follow you on oh, social? I have, I have, I have um, a podcast called PTS Diva on um, Stitcher and Earwolf. Mm -hmm. And um, I have the Buddy Cole show, A Prelude Deluge, the Buddy Cole monologue, which is going to New York. 
um, in October, or the last two weeks of October at the Soho Playhouse. Oh, excuse me, that was a good burp. Um, that was a that, that was, was a that was a burp. We got um, it. And that's about it right now. You know, um, yeah, that's it for right now. Well, let us know obviously whenever this one's up on its legs, and we'll we'll push it. Thank this you. one sounds awesome. Uh, Geekscape, as you can find us, uh, just search for Geekscape on all the social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, all of that stuff. Uh, LA Comic Con's coming up in two weeks. I'm hosting a bunch of panels on Saturday. I'll uh, post that stuff on our socials and hope to see those of you who are in Los Angeles there. Um, I'm Jonathan London. Uh, Scott, thank you so much for coming on the show, dude. I love it so thank much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 